0: We have been so trained to think that modernity equals secularism. So much Mm. social theory has really viewed secularization as an inherent aspect of modernity and of modern art. And that is just not what we see when we look at these artists. Hilma F. Klint really opened the door for me to see my grandmother, Vicki Sperry, in a completely new light. Vicki, she was a Christian scientist, and I knew from early childhood that for her, art and Christian science were one. I wasn't always sure when she was talking about one or the other. They were both part of her everyday life.
1: Hello, I'm Jonathan Eder, host of Seekers and Scholars. Welcome, listeners. What you just heard were excerpts from a conversation I had with Dr. Ann Browdy, the eminent scholar of American religion and women in religion at Harvard Divinity School. Recently, Dr. Browdy has been applying her scholarly lens to the question of spirituality and modern art, specifically looking at Women Abstract Artists. One of the artists that Dr. Browdy was inspired to explore in this vein was Vicky Sperry, her grandmother. Dr. Browdy has recently written and published a wonderful article that I heartily recommend, titled Paths to Abstraction: Spirituality in the Work of Three Women Artists. And that's published in the Harvard Divinity School Bulletin. The three artists treated in the article are Hilma F. Clint. Hila Ribey and Vicki Sperry. Doctor Browdy begins her section on Sperry with these words: quote, "Shortly after the Guggenheim opened its Af Clint show in two thousand eighteen, I heard from friends who had seen it that something about the huge abstract paintings reminded them of works in my home by my grandmother, Vicky Sperry." So. Please join me and Dr. Browdy for this conversation on Women Abstract Artists, Their Spirituality and Contemporary Relevance. And welcome to Seekers and Scholars.
0: Thank you so much, Jonathan. It's great to be here.
1: So, Anne, how did you get started on this project, researching and looking into women abstract artists from the prior century and their significance for us today?
0: Well, the way I really got involved with this was because of a blockbuster exhibit at the Guggenheim Museum that highlighted the pioneer of abstraction, Hilma F. Klint. And Hilma F. Klint, as I'm sure many in the audience have learned since this show, was virtually unknown for 100 years. She was a uh, academically trained painter in Sweden, a graduate of the Royal Academy, who as a mature person in her 40s made a radical departure to paint abstract art while in trance as a spirit medium. Mm. Now, this is so shocking for the narratives of modern art that we know, and The enormous success of this exhibit at the Guggenheim, it was the most popular show they've ever had. It broke every attendance record, catalog sales, membership, all of those things that museums need and love. And it was a show that demonstrated that her spirituality was the fundamental motivator of her departure from the figure to abstraction. What was it about these works that was so compelling? They're huge. Mm. They're colorful. They're like nothing you've ever seen before. They're such a departure from the kind of painting that was going on in Europe. And they came before the male abstract painters who we think of as the pioneers of abstraction. Mm -hmm. She was very motivated by a theosophical outlook that viewed the gender binary of male and female as something that has no ultimate reality, as something that is part of the limited existence of human beings during their time on earth, but does not exist during the period before their soul is ensconced in a body or after they return to the infinity of universal existence. So that was a very radical way to think about gender at the time that she was painting in the very early 20th century. And if you think of that view in contrast, for example, to one of the great uh, works of that period that we think of as such a historic departure. Pablo Picasso's incredible painting, Demoiselle d'Avignon, what is the view of gender that we get in that painting? Right. The women are there to titillate the invisible male viewer. What could be more different from that than these paintings that Hilma F. Clint is painting, where gender has no ultimate reality at all. It's something to be negotiated. It's something to be resolved. It's not something that defines us. And you can start to see why her work is so appealing to 21st century viewers who really have a lot of questions about the gender binary that defines so much of the history of art.
1: And it's fascinating to hear about the work of Hilma af Klint and its impact and its relevance to contemporary audiences with regard to the issues around gender and gender identity and questioning about those kinds of roles. Also, you mentioned the influence, obviously, of uh, a variety of spiritualism in Klint's Life and approach to her art, and also the influence of theosophy. These are very different spiritual movements from Christian science, which is what was attractive to your grandmother and which she adopted and, and practiced. And it really brings to mind uh, how Mary Baker Eddy approached this subject. In her writings, you come to understand that she didn't feel that there was much in common between uh, theosophy. Spiritualism and Christian science made very sharp distinctions between them. At the same time, there seemed to be a recognition of the value of the kind of spiritual openness that would attract someone to investigate different approaches to gaining a deeper spiritual understanding. So I'd like to share this quote from Eddie because I think it is relevant to our discussion. She has written the following in Science and Health, quote, Those individuals who adopt theosophy, spiritualism, or hypnotism may possess natures above some others who eschew their false beliefs. Therefore, my contest is not with the individual, but with the false system, end of quote.
0: I just love that quote that you read, and I think it really reflects the fact that artists are seekers, Very Mm. few modern artists are uh, kind of what I would call doctrinal artists, artists who have just one fixed worldview. Artists are always looking to break barriers, and these uh, abstract artists in particular are looking to break artistic conventions. They are very suspicious of any kind of repetition or institutionalization And so they are attracted to new religious movements. They are seekers, and many of them participated or learned from more than one. Right. And so it's not surprising to me that Mary Baker Eddy takes time in science and health to differentiate her movement from these other movements that the same people might have been investigating more than one of them. Right. And it's very important to her to make those distinctions, to draw those lines that people understand where the distinctions are, because they may be reading in more than one. And many of these artists explored more than one.
1: So Anne, tell us about the nature of your relationship with your grandmother, Vicki Sperry, and also about the relationship for her between her interest in and adoption of Christian science and her work as an artist and her move to abstraction in her art?
0: It was very unusual to grow up with a grandmother who was an abstract expressionist painter I thought that abstract painting was what everybody's grandmother had on the walls of their home, Uh, (laughs) large, colorful canvases, many of them by famous painters, Mm. as well as her own paintings, which were also of great size and very unconventional. When I sat on the floor at my grandmother's house, playing with toys and being spoiled with chocolates. Um, (laughs) Franz Klein was on the wall above my head. So it was a great visual upbringing. And Vicky was a wonderful, wonderful grandmother. But Vicky, when she became interested in abstraction, she was already an experienced artist. She saw abstract painting for the First time in 1948 when she had a show in New York City. She lived in Chicago in Evanston, and she uh, traveled to New York in 1948 when she had her first solo exhibition there, and she saw the works that were being exhibited. That was the first time there were solo shows of Jackson Pollock and Hans Hoffman, and she went to the Museum of Modern Art, and she felt there was something in New York in the art scene that she really needed to learn from and be a part of. And so she worked out a way, even though she lived in Chicago, to travel to New York to study at Hans Hoffman's studio. He was really the great teacher of so many of the abstract painters of the period. And he had two studios, one where he spent the summer on Cape Cod, and the other in Greenwich Village. And that's where she studied. She studied in Greenwich Village. She would go for two weeks and then go home for two weeks. And she spent three years there at Hoffman's studio. This is exactly the same time she was studying Christian science. And I think it's so fascinating because both Hans Hoffman and Mary Baker saw study as a pathway to spirituality. Not all Mm -hmm. outlooks embrace that view. Not all religions focus on study as the pathway into religious understanding. But Christian science really does. And Vicki Sperry undertook this remarkable period of her life, where in the morning, she would go to Hans Hoffman's studio on Ninth Avenue in Greenwich Village. And Hoffman had three sessions a day. Most students only went to one. Vicki, when she was there, she went to all three. What Vicky did is she went to Hoffman's studio in the morning. She painted for the morning session. And then at lunchtime, she would go around the corner to the Christian Science Church, which had a reading room on its ground floor. This was the 10th church in Greenwich Village, and she would spend her lunch hour poring over Christian Science texts and publications and the biblical texts. And then she would return to Hoffman's studio to paint in the afternoon. And I often wonder what this was like for her, You have to remember that Hoffman's studio was full of unconventional people. It was full of uh, angry young men. It was full of emigres from Europe. And there was a nude model. There was a naked woman. The focus of attention, while the great booming figure of Hans Hoffman with his jolly demeanor and his heavy accent... Was talking about spirituality, and the, all the students loved to imitate him. I never heard him. I can't <laughs> imitate Hans Hoffman, but they all they loved to imitate his accent, uh, including Vicky. This made her different from all of the other painters. The painters who she befriended and whose works she she sometimes purchased, they were all spending their evenings at the Cedar Tavern. They were drinking and doing things that did not interest her while she was spending her lunch hour at the reading room mm. and then returning to Hoffman's studio. I see this double form of study, this conjoined form, as absolutely intertwined in her life.
1: And what a wonderful portrait of that time and place in Greenwich Village and all the vitality of exploration and innovation that's going on in which she is steeped and at the same time doing it with this new spiritual discovery animating her thought and how that study of Mary Baker Eddy's teachings and Hans Hoffman, what he's opening up to her.
0: And what I find really fascinating in the way that Vicky's artistic journey and her journey into Christian science coalesce is that it's at the very end of this period, she spent about two and a half years in New York studying at Hoffman's studio, and at the conclusion of that period, she made a decision to join the Mother Church. And this was a major decision. She came from a Jewish family. She was the child of immigrants. She was uh, part of a family that were very involved with Jewish philanthropy. Her husband was an engineer. Joining the Christian Science Church was not an obvious move for her or one that was going to be easily made or lightly taken. It was a big decision. The other major decision, also a huge decision for her that she made in the very same month that she joined the church was to buy a large painting by Jackson Pollock, the last painting that Jackson Pollock painted. Now, she was a painter, she was A middle aged woman, the wife of an engineer from Chicago with a lovely home and two adult daughters, spending the money to buy a large painting by a very controversial artist, the kind of the bad boy of American art, who was very praised by some avant garde critics, but made fun of by many American critics. This was also a radical and an audacious move to take this painting back and hang it up in her home in Evanston. She would ultimately move to California where I would grow up playing beneath the Jackson Pollock in her living room. The way she convinced my grandfather to make this enormous financial commitment was that she said she needed to learn from the painting. (laughs) He asked her if she loved the painting. And she said, no, I don't love the painting, but I need to learn from it. I need to live with it. Buying this painting was really part of this transformative process in her evolution as an artist And what I see as her adoption of Christian science as part of this same process and her movement towards abstraction.
1: Anne, it's wonderful to hear this story about your grandmother, uh, Vicki Sperry, and her dedication to wanting to study this painting by Jackson Pollock. It strikes me that this interest in studying this painting reflects how a commitment, in, in her case, to Christian science a spiritual path can animate a capacity to and a desire to embrace the world in new and different and, and deeper ways.
0: That's right. For my grandmother, Christian science and art were just absolutely inseparable. In the 1960s, she wrote a book called The Art Experience. Right. And that word experience and the the idea that it is through the experience of art that we approach transcendence and that we can access universality and divine goodness that was very very important to her and so when she wrote her book the art experience it's very interesting she doesn't reference christian science in the book but to the reader of Mary Baker Eddy, you will see similarities. And I think you saw some, Jonathan, when you read the book.
1: I certainly did, yes. But
0: if you're not a reader of Christian science, you would not know that there is a Christian science outlook undergirding the book. And I know this because I recently taught a course at Harvard Divinity School where I taught Grandma Vicky's book, uh, the Art mm-hmm. Experience, and I paired it with excerpts from Science and Health. And students had a very different experience, and they did not see the way that these two documents went hand in hand. So that was really fascinating for me. Vicky's book, it conveys so much of her understanding she says, art is caring. She sees the art very much as entwined with an experience of love, of goodness, of infinity. And she describes it very much in line with principles that will be familiar to Christian scientists.
1: Yeah, so your students at Harvard, what did they think of your grandmom?
0: I was absolutely stunned by their response to the art experience Vicky's book. They loved it. And part mm-hmm. of what they loved about it was Vicky's voice of authority. And I think she got mm-hmm. that directly from Mary Baker Eddy. Right. I think she she was a student of Eddy's writing and Eddy is such a model of an authoritative voice she speaks as a discoverer, not as a a creator or a a writer. In many ways, Sperry is doing the same thing in the art experience. And that voice of authority, some readers find it off-putting, but my students, they said they felt like this book was written for them. I have to tell you, Jonathan, students today are in a very difficult environment. They are studying in a very difficult world. It's really hard for them to know what to study, what, what to do. Students are extremely conscious of the multiple crises facing our world, the climate crisis, the crisis of racial injustice and economic disparities, the refugee crisis, the crisis of political polarization. These burdens weigh on them heavily Mm. and really affect their curricular choices as well as those of their teachers. In an effort to advance truth and reconciliation, I think we as teachers have overloaded our curriculum with the violence of the past and the threats to the future. And the students in this class really... They so much appreciated the opportunity to study the expression of joy and transcendence. They expressed Mm -hmm. that they need to be exposed to the creative process and to spiritual experiences that have enabled artists to convey transcendence. I'm so grateful to them for helping me to see those things.
1: Right. Right. I know for a time, your grandmom, Vicki Sperry, uh, was a Christian science practitioner. I'm wondering where you see the connection of uh, her interest in Christian science as providing healing and what she was communicating in her artwork.
0: Thank you so much for bringing up the centrality of healing to Vicki's thought and to her painting. You know, I think this is what my students felt when they had the opportunity to spend time looking at art in the uncertain world in which we live today. And Vicki really saw mm. art as an antidote to pain and suffering. And healing was, I think, what first drew her to Christian science. I have to tell you that part of what made her conversion to Christian science difficult was that when she became interested in Christian science, her eldest daughter, my mother, Marjorie Browdy, was in medical school. Mm. She also wanted to become a healer. She wanted to become a psychiatrist. She also wanted to help people deal with difficult situations and heal from suffering. Her other daughter, my aunt Carol Moss, ultimately became a Buddhist and taught Buddhist meditation in her home. She also wanted to be a healer, and she also wanted to help people heal from suffering. I think all of them viewed healing as the real motivator that spurred everything about what they wanted to do in life. And certainly for Vicki, that is what she understood Uh, to be the core of her work, both as an artist and as a Christian science practitioner.
1: And thank you so much for spending this time with us to discuss spirituality and women abstract artists. It's been wonderful to learn about your grandmother, Vicki Sperry, her life and work, her art experience, if you will. I'm just curious, when you engage with her work, engage with her paintings, What's an example of a lasting impression it gives you about your grandmother?
0: I happen to have in my own home a series of four paintings that she painted when she was 70. And she had to, she was only five feet tall, just barely, and she was shrinking by that time. And she had to get up on a a little footstool to reach the top of these canvases. And mm-hmm. I just love this image of my little Jewish grandma on a stool, reaching her arm up as far as she could to create a broad brushstroke. And when people see these paintings, that's not what they see. That's not the person they imagine. Right. And, you know, for Vicki, that was something very important about Christian science, that it told her that she wasn't necessarily the person that other people saw when they saw her physical appearance. That that wasn't the limit of who she could be or what she could express. And Mm -hmm. that's a message she wanted to convey to everybody.
1: Thanks so much, Anne. It's been really terrific to have this time with you.
0: Thanks so much for this opportunity, Jonathan. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. You've brought a wonderful lens to help me think further about these artists.
1: Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Seekers and Scholars on Women Abstract Artists, Their Spirituality and Contemporary Relevance. It's been a joy spending this time with Dr. Ann Browdy exploring this subject and in particular looking at the thought and work of her grandmother, Vicki Sperry. And to that end, we've included a few examples of Sperry's work on the webpage for this episode. So we hope you'll enjoy looking at those images. And in relation to that, we will be featuring a bonus clip from our conversation with Dr. Browdy, where she's talking about these particular examples of her grandmother's art. So look forward to that as well. Please join us for our next episode, which will be on Mary Baker Eddy and the Civil War. We will be joined by members of the Mary Baker Eddy Papers team who've been exploring early correspondence and early writings of Mary Baker Eddy from the period of the Civil War. They've made some fascinating discoveries, so we're looking forward to sharing those with you. I'm Jonathan Eder, Thank you so much for listening to Seekers and Scholars. This
0: podcast was produced by the Mary Baker Eddy Library, copyright 2022.